Well, it's good to be back with you again, and uh, I kind of feel like Pastor Warren's shadow, <laughs> because I'll be with you this Sunday and next Sunday in place of him, okay? And then I have been at Washington Heights Baptist Church in their evening service, which he normally does, uh, the month of May and this month too, so I'm just kind of following him around, and, uh, which is a good thing, okay? I love Pastor Warren, and we've been good friends for many years. And uh, so anyhow, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. My wife and I uh, enjoy the, the beauty and the peace of Amish country, especially in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So on one of our trips, uh, when we were living in northeast Pennsylvania, we visited uh, a gift shop, and there are no few of those if you've ever been to Lancaster County. And in this gift shop was a wall plaque that read as follows, the most important things in life are not things. Now, now think on that. Kind of let that, that sink in. Because uh, we live in a culture of discontent. And uh, products and advertisers and, and everything out there is just depending on us not being content with what we have, right? In fact, uh, those who, who think that they can find contentment in the accumulation of things, sooner or later they will find out that uh, such an endeavor is very elusive because you will never find true contentment in things or stuff, right? So what is contentment? Well. The dictionary defines contentment as a state of happiness or satisfaction. I'm not suggesting that's the biblical definition, but that's the uh, Webster's Dictionary definition. I, I, but some, some people equate contentment with what I'll call resignation. It goes something like this, oh well, if that's the way it has to be, I'll be content. Well. Uh, I don't think that's happiness, do you? I don't think that's satisfaction at all. The Bible reveals the essence of contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, uh, read this way. Now there is great gain and godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But... If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Hmm. Hebrews 13.5 reads, Keep your life from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, we're in Philippians chapter 4 this morning, but if there, is a, if there is a theme 
maybe not the only theme, but if there is a theme in the book of Philippians, it's contentment in Christ. Let that sink in. Contentment in Christ. Happiness in Christ. Satisfaction in Christ and in Christ alone. See, things, whatever those things are, they will never add anything to the contentment that we have in Christ. And uh, I, I want us to kind of take inventory of our own hearts this morning and ask ourselves, I'm, I've been asking myself as I've been preparing this message, am I truly content in Christ? If I have nothing more added to my life materially, will I be content in Christ? Am I content with the clothes that I have and the food that I have? Am I content with what I have? Admittedly, there are times when I'm not. I'll just be honest with you. I would like another pair of golf shoes. <laughs> well, I, as a matter of fact, I got another pair of golf shoes. Because the last time I went golfing, my left sole, my, the left shoe, the sole of my left shoe started talking to me, started flapping, 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 flapping. So I ripped that off, and then I kept walking, and the sole itself started flapping, flapping. So I ripped that off, and I got my street shoes and finished golfing. I thought, I'm not content like this, you know. <laughs> but you know what? We do talk ourselves into more things, more stuff, don't we? Because we live in a culture of discontent. We really do. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul said, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want to suggest to us, that was written by a man who really knew contentment in Christ. Because for Paul, to live itself and to know Christ was enough. And then to die was like icing on the cake, right? It's a win-win when you're a Christian. He also wrote in Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And that's where we're going to be this morning, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord. Not in my stuff. Not in things, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, even though he was imprisoned when he wrote this letter. Even though his circumstances were not favorable, his needs were not being met, and he thought he might die. Now think about that. Would I be content under those circumstances? He was. He found contentment in Christ. And, and he was content and he wished 
for these Philippians that he loved. He loved these people. And he said so throughout the letter, right? But he wanted them to be content in their want and, and in their need. And I, I'm personally convinced, and I think the Lord has, has taken me to the woodshed more than once in uh, teaching me contentment by withholding things that I thought I needed or wanted. And instead of grousing about it, you know, he was teaching me, uh, am, I, am I enough? Can you be content with just me alone? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, uh, Paul discloses what I'm calling the secret of contentment, which, by the way, is not a secret after all. It's not a secret. It's actually a reality that Paul is, is about to share with his readers. So here's, here's, the, here's the convicting news this morning. Okay? We're probably none of us as content as we ought to be. But we can be. Okay? The good news is we can be. We can find contentment in Christ. So, the first thing that Paul really addresses is uh, the occasion for sharing this secret of contentment. And the occasion was this, the Philippians sent a gift to Paul by a man by the name of Epaphroditus. Um, look at verse 10, Philippians 4. Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Now we're going we're to explain that here in just a moment, but Paul rejoiced greatly in the Lord not because he got a gift but because of what that gift represented as far as the Philippians' care and love and relationship that was just built over the years, ever since Acts chapter 16, and the church was planted while Paul was in prison, right? And Paul's love for the Philippians and their love for him just continued to grow. And Paul talks about this gift that they sent to him. More than once, by the way. They didn't just send one gift, they had sent gifts before this one. Um, let me just put this on pause a minute. And I, I don't think this is uh, being too picky, but may I suggest to us that we, that we give gifts, not mere presents. And I think there's a difference between a gift and a present. Um, at, at, the, at the core of, of gifts is grace. It's really in the word itself is the idea of grace, of giving something that is maybe undeserved, maybe something that's a bit sacrificial. Um, I think a gift expresses thoughtfulness and love. I, I think a present I mean, who doesn't like to get presents, but they can be rather impersonal. They may not necessarily communicate love and thoughtfulness and care. 
But I think gifts do, and I think, I think that's the reason the word gift is found here in the book of Philippians. Because a gift is more personal, a, a gift expresses more thoughtfulness, and, and Paul was just expressing his gratitude for the, the gifts that they had been sending to him. Look at verses 15 and 16 here. We'll get to these verses, by the way, next week. But in verse 15, Paul says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And now, according to the verses we're looking at this morning, now their, their love for him and their opportunity had been revived and, and was blossoming once again. Their concern for him was like on display once again, as he says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And then it's like Paul kind of catches himself here. Because the last thing Paul wanted was to be misunderstood by the Philippian believers. And so we have what I'm calling the explanation about his comment regarding the gift. The occasion was they sent him a gift through Epaphroditus. And by the way, that was not, that was not like walking next door to deliver the gift, okay? We're talking hundreds of miles, thousands probably of miles from Macedonia to, to Rome where he was in prison. I mean, that takes some planning, that takes some forethought, that, you know, and, and I think that's always behind a gift, is you're thinking about how to bless this person with a gift. So Paul, he explains about his comment regarding a gift, not and, and Paul said, I'm not saying this, what he said there in verse uh, 10, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. I'm not saying that because I think this gift is way overdue. You know, sometimes when you give a gift, people don't necessarily respond the way you hope they will. It's like, oh, is that all you're giving? Oh, well, it's about time. You know, those are not good, <laughs> those are not good ways to respond when somebody gives you a gift. And Paul doesn't want them to think that that's what he was thinking. He didn't want them thinking that he thought it had been way too long since they had sent the last gift. He didn't want them thinking that. So he says in the last part of verse 10, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's, he's explaining himself to them. The time had passed. Um, Paul had not been in need prior to this, but now he's in prison. Now he is in need. And he's saying, you know, while I, while I wasn't in prison, I could fend for myself. What was Paul by vocation? He was a tent maker. I think he must have been a pretty good one. Okay. So he, he made tents, and he supported himself through the making and selling of tents. And he used his hands to provide for, for his personal needs. And by the way, I think Paul wasn't just all about himself. He, he helped provide for the needs of others, too. 
through his tent making. But now he's in prison, and he's unable to provide for himself, and this was the opportunity the Philippians lacked while Paul was able to fend for himself. It's like the Philippians were very tuned in to the Apostle Paul. And they're just kind of waiting to, to hear about a need. And they're like, okay, now, now we can give. Now we can do something. Because he has a need. And we can help meet that need. I love that kind of a heart, don't you? I, I do. I, I think my wife has that kind of a heart. Notice I didn't say I have that kind of a heart, okay? But my wife is a giver. And she's always in tune. Her radar is always up for people who have needs. She was an excellent pastor's wife, by the way, in the 42 years that we pastored together, okay? But people are like that. I'm sure some of you are very much like this. It's like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? And for me, I would say, no. <laughs> well, you know, this is going on. So now he's in prison. Once they knew of his circumstances, they responded, listen, they responded as promptly as possible with another gift. By the way, for which Paul had not asked. It wasn't like Paul was gimme, gimme, gimme. No, he was, he was in prison and they heard about that and they said, hey, we can, we can help meet that. So Paul rejoiced and he was grateful because they cared more for him than for the material gift itself. It, it wasn't all about the gift. It was about the person they were sending the gift to. They wanted to bless Paul. They wanted to be a conduit of blessing. Now, who's the giver of all blessings? That's God, okay? God is the source of every blessing, okay? And we as believers, we have the privilege of being his hands and feet, of being the conduit through which blessings are sent, not to be kept. I mean, what good is a blessing that isn't shared, right? So they're, they're sharing their blessings with Paul. And so another material gift is sent. Look at verse 17. Uh, Paul writes, not that I seek the gift. It isn't that I wanted you to send me something, but I seek the fruit that increases to your, to your credit. I want you to be blessed. There's a little known verse in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Is there blessing in receiving? Absolutely. I love to be blessed by receiving. Okay. But th listen, there's more blessing in giving. I don't know that we believe that. But it's true. There's more blessing in giving. So the gift and those gifts that were sent to them previously, uh, I think the Philippians were generous. I think they supplied all of his needs. In fact, he says so in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. 
I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts, plural, you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's how Paul, Paul said, this is, this is a fragrant offering. I don't know what they sent. Probably not golf shoes, okay? I don't know what they sent to him, but whatever it was, Paul said it was a fragrant offering. It was a sacrifice, a sacrifice. So it's something that cost the Philippians, okay, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Can I just put it on a pause here a minute and say you've been featuring one of your missionaries, but I want us to think that way as a local church. That when we give to our missionaries, not... Let's give in such a way that it, it hurts. It, it's a good hurt. It's like, you know, we really could have used this ourselves, but you know what? We, we want to share it with somebody else. Paul said, that's, that's what the Philippians were doing. They're just generous. They're just supplying my needs when I couldn't do anything about that. So, in 1999... Long before some of you were even thought of, okay. But in 1999, I, along with 12 other people, went to Northeast India on a mission trip. And uh, it was an amazing experience as we went there to help celebrate the 50th anniversary of the gospel coming to that part of the world. And so I got to preach, and we got to meet people, and we were in the little village of Churnchenpur. And um, the local church there was just a, a beautiful body of believers, but they had very little materially. Um, but here was their attitude. What's ours is yours if you need it. Or if you like it. And I learned that in a very rather embarrassing way when one of my first couple of days there, I noticed these young women and women and, and they wore these long wraparound skirts. They were like blankets, light blankets, but they, they wrapped them around like a skirt and they were in their tribal colors. They were beautiful. I didn't know. I just complimented them. I said, man, those, those are beautiful. Um, that's all I did. I just said, hey, those are beautiful. The next day, here they come with four. <laughs> One for my wife and my three daughters. Four of these. And I'm going... Well, what's this? Well, you said you liked them. After that, I was really careful about what I said I liked because I thought, oh my word, what was theirs was mine if they thought I liked it or possibly needed it. And their contentment, mm, this brings tears to my eyes, their contentment was rooted in what they had to give, not keep. Because they were living out the more blessed life of giving. The most important things to them 
were not things. They weren't things. And I would ask us the question, I mean, I, I mean God's been working me over this week, quite honestly. Is what you and I possess, is it ours to keep or is it ours to share? And we're talking about stewardship here, right? I mean, who gave it to us anyway? Well, God gave it to us. And God never gives us anything just to solely keep for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying we don't have things that we need. But I think we're always, we always have the mindset of, how can, how can I share this? How can I bless somebody else through a gift? Do we keep a loose grip on our things so as to release them when given the opportunity to share? Again, I'm married to somebody like that. And she's taught me a lot in the 40, almost 47 years that we've been married. How to keep a loose grip on things so you're ready to share when the opportunity presents itself. Okay. So, Paul then reveals in verses 11b through 13 the secret of contentment. And I'm just going to read those verses. I'll start beginning of verse 11. Paul says, Not that I am speaking in being, of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound and in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, the next verse we all know. And most of us can probably quote it. But I'm not sure we all understand it. Because in the context, I think it means something we don't necessarily think it means. Then Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, when it comes to the secret of, uh, of contentment, um, there are two pieces to that. First of all, contentment is learned. It's learned. We don't come out of the womb content. <laughs> I mean, that's obvious, right? We learn contentment. Contentment comes through life situations and life circumstances that are either caused or allowed by God. And God is the teacher. Okay, we learn it, He teaches it. And for most of, us, most of us, like we're in the school of learning contentment our whole lives, right? But Paul learned contentment. He learned to be content with little. He wrote here of being low, speaking of times of hunger and times of need. He also learned to be content when he had more than he needed. Times of plenty and times of abundance. So Paul, like Paul, we need to learn contentment. I need to learn contentment. I haven't arrived. I haven't graduated from the school of contentment, okay? We need to learn contentment without craving more, because that's a sure sign I'm not content, right? If I want more, or selfishly clinging 
to what I have. So if I am wanting more or stingy with what I have, I'm not content. Paul said, I, I've learned both through want and through abundance, I've, I've learned contentment. Um, perhaps, perhaps you're lacking something right now that uh, you thought you needed in order to become more dependent on the Lord. Maybe he is intentionally withholding that from you. And you think you need it. And I'm not saying you may not need it, but God's saying, you need me more. So learn contentment. Learn to be content with me. Learn to treasure me. Learn to prize me over things. I think it was Charles Spurgeon. I'll, I'll blame it on him anyway. I think Charles Spurgeon said, learn to say no, and it will do you more good than learning Latin. That's, that's a matter of self-control and discipline, is saying no. Um, or, and this thought just kind of hit me, instead of running out to buy something you think you need or want, if you need it, give God the opportunity to provide it for you. Have you ever thought about that? I don't know how many times in my life God has just so kindly, so generously provided something I needed before I ran out and bought it. Even a set of tires for one of my, I, I had a 1976 yellow VW van. <laughs> and we tooled around our four kids all over the country with that thing, okay? And one time it was like we needed tires and we were running on ball tires. We got down to Tennessee and I thought, oh my word, before I go home, I'm going to have to buy tires. And a neighbor of my in-laws came over and handed me, I don't know how much it was. He said, here, he said, I noticed the tires on your van are bald. Please go out and buy some tires before you go back to Ohio. This was in Tennessee. I thought, wow. It's just like the Lord to do something like that. The second thing is, not only is contentment learned, it comes through the Lord. Contentment, it isn't something that we just muster up ourselves. It isn't something we can do on our own. It is through the Lord. And that's verse 13. Paul said, in the context of learning contentment, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment comes through the enablement of the Spirit of Christ. We will never be content apart from the Spirit of Christ in us, giving us a sense of contentment, of enough, or it's, all, it's more than I need, so let me share it. Another way to translate Philippians 4.13 is this. I am able to do all through the one who enables me. And by the way, this verse doesn't guarantee unqualified ability. Okay, Paul is not saying that whatever we want to do, God will accomplish that through us with or without skill or experience. 
So I am not a plumber, I am not the son of a plumber, but if I think without any background experience or skill that I can go and fix something that needs fixing in my house that's a plumbing matter, and I claim this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I am sorely mistaken. No, I don't have skill for that. He's not talking about those kinds of things. He is saying that we can endure doing without and we can enjoy having more than enough when it is for the sake of Christ. Did you hear that? We can endure doing without. We can enjoy having more than enough when it is for the sake of Christ. There are times when for the sake of Christ, God wants you to have little to be in want, to be in need. And there are times when, for the sake of Christ, he's going to bless you and give you more than you need for the sake of Christ. And Paul is saying we can do, we can live life with little or, or, or much through the one who enables us to do that. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Hmm. We're not to grasp God's power to indulge ourselves. That's not what this verse is teaching. God gives us the ability to do without what we think we need. And be content. Be happy. Be satisfied. Unmet needs humble us. They test our faith and obedience to God. They really do. Let me just say in closing, God is still good and gracious regardless of our circumstances. Would you say amen to that? We don't always feel that, but God is still good and gracious regardless of our circumstances. And like Paul, we can be content in want as well as in abundance. The ability is due to the enablement of the one who is all-powerful and strengthens us by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, say it with me, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? We can. And I, I believe as we go into this week, that's going to be tested. Your level of contentment is going to be tested because you've heard the Word of God today. And God is saying, okay, let's see how this works. Right? Hmm. Christianity is an all-sufficient, all-satisfying relationship with an all-sufficient, all-satisfying Savior who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think. Amen? I mean, that's the heart of being a believer, of being a Christian, is finding contentment in Christ. And so I would ask you this morning, are you content? Am I content? Not as much as I should be. But I want to get there, don't you? I want to get there. It's learned, it's a hard attitude, and it's, and it's only possible 
through the Lord who enables us. So contentment is finding joy in what God has either given to you or in His wisdom chosen to withhold. Finding joy in that. It's to be found in the King, not things. Christ is all I need. Christ is all you need. Christ is all we need. And that, brethren, is the secret of contentment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know more than anyone, you know my heart, you know the struggles I have at times, just learning contentment, um, allowing your spirit to work in my heart, enabling me to be content with little or much. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach all of us just the, the blessings that come through learning contentment, learning to be content, learning to give, learning to share. Uh, and so, Father, I, I pray this upon these dear people. And I pray, Father, that we will leave here just thinking about the things that we have heard and committing ourselves to practicing truth. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.